Welcome to the Shelfformers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. So I'm your co-host Darby, and today we're going to talk about collecting music. And I'm your co-host Sugu, and tonight we're going to join. We're going to talk about the top forty uh, Billboard hits. So Ryan, take us take it away with our number <laughs> forty of nineteen twenty twenty three, whatever year it is. Well, the number 40 hit of 192023 is uh, something I just made up. I'm a Barbie girl, again. I don't know what I'm talking about. White town, your woman. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm Ryan. I'm a prolific collector of music, amongst other things. And uh, I am here to talk about, I guess, my perspective on such things and... Uh, you know why why I, i'm you know i totally just lost my train of thought right <laughs> that'll be a good introduction Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut, which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics in an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, we're going to start with uh, a special guest, actually. We brought on an, a guest to our show. Uh, this is Ryan. Ryan and I have gone, we go back also all the way to college. So this is kind of a University of Iowa reunion. All my different circles are slamming together <laughs> um so darby as our audience knows darby and i met on the irish writing program ryan and i met through hancher which is the auditorium at university of iowa uh we worked together selling tickets for shows and then we both moved to los angeles and i was a budding bartender and Ryan was working on, uh, was it screenwriting? Well, that's what I thought it was going to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then from there, life happened. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. So, the reason we brought Ryan on is because you've been uh doing something incredible the past 20 odd years at least as long as i've known you and that is your mission your goal has been to collect every single top 40 hit on the billboard charts uh ever is that correct that is the uh the goal yes um you know how how far i will ultimately get it, it almost isn't even the point you know it's just collecting for the fun of collecting as sure. many collectors know 
Right. So Ryan, I, I have an immediate question. Do you have like an idea of like how many songs this actually is? Um, you know, like I, you would, in my mind, at least, uh, you know, first thinking about it, you would think it would be like this giant unwieldy number. And it, I mean, it, I guess each their own i'm thinking at last based on my last check of things it was somewhere in the range of 15 to twenty thousand songs that have ever charted 15 to 20 and do you have like is this just from the beginning until now is there any particular cutoff like this is billboard or anything like that so well i did uh sort of find it harder to find the list from yeah. billboard in the past few years um so I've re- I've used Billboard chart positions when I can find them, but as far as finding an entire list, um, I think there is a website that tracks like the American Radio Countdown. Um, mm-hmm. So I use that when uh, when I can't find a, a full list for a year for Billboard. Um, so it's sort of a uh, what bastardized list, I guess, if you will. <laughs> Again, you know, it's so you can tell I'm not like the, I guess, what you would call the high end collector who has to get everything right in order, or I don't feel like it's a legitimate mm-hmm. collection for myself. Like to me, that's not the point for myself. Um, it's just, you know, close is good enough in, in some cases for me, I guess you would say. I do like. You know, it, 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 as I'm creating my playlists and such, I use the comments field in the the audio track to uh, make note of where it charted. So if it's Billboard, I make that note. If I pulled it from the American Radio Countdown, I put that note in. Um, and if I'm feeling really uh, nerdy, I'll look up where it charted on like the mainstream rock charts and the modern rock charts and those kinds of things. All right. Uh, very incomplete from that standpoint, I guess. You so, could say. can I ask real quickly the billboard? Let, let's start with the billboard. Sure. How often is it updated? Like, are you looking at the top 40 billboards, uh, but the billboard is updated every week, every month? Like, how, what? Yeah, on so that's, I, I don't have, like, in, at least in my mind, I don't, I don't have that kind of time to devote to doing a weekly check and pulling updated records, which is why, um, you know, it's, it's hard to find, like, the end of year, here's everything that charted for that year. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there used to be a giant book that you could find in reference sections of, you know, that would get updated every like four or five years. I think, I think it was, I can't remember the, the name of the guy, but he's like, he's, if you ever bought those like billboard top 10 or whatever CDs, he was always the guy that made the liner notes for them. Okay. Yeah. He would also release this giant reference book covering everything. And so, you know, and uh, just, people you know, would collect that information or you know as probably exists existed in digital form at some point anyway and would post it online and you would find like oh here's everything that charted for the year 1986 and mm-hmm. you'd have that list and you know i'd copy that and format it into a spreadsheet and add it to what i was trying to track down basically so how many on average 
per year are we looking at? Because if we're looking at, uh, let's say there are 50 weeks, 52 weeks in a year, mm -hmm. top 40, you're looking at max 2000. Well, so it's, it's interesting because it seems to have varied over the years. You know, what I'm, what I've found as far as like patterns of it is you go back to like the sixties and, you know, people weren't buying albums. They were buying a lot more singles on 45s. Mm -hmm. um, those that decade seems to be the highest as far as n number of individual songs that charted at least in the 40th spot on the charts or higher. Okay. Um, so there it's like 250 plus per year. Um, and one thing that happened in the 80s too is that songs would just live on the chart for weeks and yeah. months and maybe even years so yeah yeah and and yeah and that uh that plays a role and interestingly what i found is like seemingly when you know digital downloads started to become predominant and people weren't buying albums i would have thought that the number would have crept back up it's actually seemingly lowered like there's a, wow. like I've only been seeing like 150 to 200 songs per year per year in recent years, wow. which I find really interesting. Um, so yeah, it's uh, and you know, take that for what you will, because uh, it's only as good as what I've pulled, and that might not be that great, but. Like the list I have for 2016, for instance, that I pulled, and this is from that American Radio countdown, I believe, that I've got in front of me here. Um, I've got 100 and, 168 songs that hmm. charted that year according to that list. Do you think part of it might be that people aren't listening to radio as much? And so think, the metrics yeah. are a lot harder to track. Certainly. I know that, you know, just anecdotally, I know that you just from what I've read and probably what you've read along the way too, is that, you know, when stuff started to start to transition towards streaming, they had a really hard time, you know, tracking like, okay, what do we count as a platinum album now or a platinum mm -hmm. single? Um, you know, they had to whatever, change that up. Um, how they calculated that and uh, made it made it kind of a mess of things. So yeah, that wouldn't be surprising at all. Like just how they calculate it based it on that changing perhaps lowers the count in and of itself there. Does Spotify do any sort of like metrics like that? Like they make that public and then do you track I have that? No idea. No, okay. I have no idea on that. I haven't, I haven't really uh, delved into the streaming platforms as far as how how they track that sort of um, information. Yep. I guess. Is this another good time to say, pay your writers, <laughs> pay your actors? Yeah, right. Seemingly, <laughs> right. It seems to go into that. Yeah, because like the whole residuals yeah. for streaming, it, it feels like streaming is. Uh, like impacting the whole music industry as well. Yeah, yeah. It's even more complicated in the music industry with the publishing side of it. Yeah. Um, especially when you have you can have like numerous parties involved, but 
So Ryan, this is like super cool project that you have. And like, so I'm curious, where did this start? What, what was, where did this, you obviously love music. Where, where did it start that you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to put this entire history of pop music together. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, for me, it, it really uh, goes all the way back to like early childhood, you know, like mm-hmm. before I was even in school, I'd just be obviously a little kid hanging around the house and my mom was a stay at home mom and she always had the radio on always. Um, if she was awake, the radio was on basically. Um, and she would listen to a lot of oldies stations in, you know, this is in the early 1980s. So she was listening to fifties and sixties music still. So I got exposure to that. Um, but she would also listen to contemporary pop radio at the time as well. So, you know, I got kind of both, both ends of the stick on that. So early on, all I didn't really get exposed to was like 70s music. My mom didn't like 70s music for some reason, by and large. Um, But yeah, it would just, uh, you know, I would uh, take my mom's records out and put the records on. And, you know, she wasn't uh, anal about keeping her records in pristine condition. Um, So she would just let me put a record on and pop on the, you know, giant oversized 1970s headphones and um and i would just lay there on the you know floor in front of the record player listening to whatever and uh you know as a kid you know you're fascinated by pictorial art you know so i'd have the album covers laid out in front of me and i just you know i think that was the beginning of the visceral experience for me of connecting all of that together um and then you know as i got into like my teenage years, you know, I, it just uh, sort of became a nostalgia thing for me or just, oh, I haven't heard that song in a while. I'd lo- really love to hear that song again. But, you know, then nobody's playing 80s music on the radio during the 90s. Um, so, you know, I had to go try to find it myself, you know, if I wanted to hear that song again. You know, I had to go out of my way to find it during that era. You know, all my friends were buying Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots albums and I'm like looking for those billboard CDs or in excess greatest hits or whatever you know at the time um, and keep in mind that this is the days pre-internet which means that there are CD stores and record stores you had to go into right <laughs> and... yeah. which was like you know it was like being a kid in a candy store sure because you couldn't afford all the candy but you sure wanted to look at all the candy it, it was high fidelity Right. Yeah. High Fidelity I, and Empire Records. <laughs> oh, man. I, I miss the record store because like, that was like you, you you met people, you talked to people and you, you like people who really like new music and new things. And then um, they could all you all someone was always like, hey, man, you should try this. And it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love the exposure that you could get to new to hear new stuff. Yeah, music stores and the you know video rental stores, those were yeah. the places to learn about culture from your peers. Yeah. <laughs> or, oh yeah. Or sometimes yeah. you know, it wasn't always good culture, but you know, it was, <laughs> it was culture. There were some definite crap recommendations that people would make to you as well, because obviously yeah. all of our tastes vary wildly. But so they you know 
you might love this song to death and i'm like this it just sounds awful <laughs> yeah and certainly i think we've all had that experience oh no doubt <laughs> so um what have you like discovered along the way like uh what in in this process of collecting sure. what have you kind of learned or how has your musical taste expanded or yeah well you know like i kind of touched on you know it started maybe with just a love of kind of rediscovering lost gems you know like like oh i haven't heard that song in ages and i finally heard it again or i had totally forgotten about that song you know or even um you know you you knew you loved this song but you never knew who it was by um because you know there was no like soundhound or shazam app either to identify a song for you so you would just have a song that you knew you liked you maybe wrote down what you thought the title was based on lyrics that were repeated in it and but it wasn't the right title and so even once the internet became a thing you'd search by that title and you couldn't find anything and so through collecting songs that I had built this giant list of, you know, I would just occasionally be like, Oh, that's who did that song. That's what the title of that song was. Now that I hear it again, um, having found it. Um, so I loved those little surprise moments where it was just like, like, I don't, I, it, you know, it's just like that brief moment of joy when you're just like, find something you've been searching for for a long time and and uh can you remember a particular song or artist that kind of fit into that mold when you first started out that you were like you really yeah, enjoyed well, and you're like oh my god actually uh you know when we were in college working at the hancher box office um you know we used to talk about songs we had uh bosses there that were cool and like and enjoyed you know letting us talk about whatever we wanted to talk about and there was this song called that was you know all i knew is that you know all i can remember of is it goes like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. oh yeah and i like i would ask around and like nobody there with none of us could remember what that <laughs> song was or who sang it and Our so it was howard jones things can only get better yeah and so like you know i stumbled upon that at one point i'm like finally oh, i found that song i've been looking for that song forever um or yeah ones that i had completely forgotten existed like uh there's a song by hipsway called the honey thief and i don't even know if hipsway had any other songs that ever got popular in any country but that I really enjoyed that song, you know, and, uh, you know, just one hit wonders in the U S certainly. Um, but yeah, so just like stumbling across those things was kind of my initial joy of it. Um, and at some point then, you know, I started like realizing too, that through these collections, like I was discovering, artists i never would have paid any attention to you know by you know like oh i need this this song by better than ezra so i'm gonna you know buy that album and then i just listen to the whole album i'm like i really enjoy this album i'm gonna buy more better than ezra and you know now i've got multiple better than ezra albums um or uh you know 
going back, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, like I am a gigantic Sam Cooke fan now. Hmm. And I, you know, was, had awareness of some of his songs, but never really followed that closely. Never really looked into buying any of his collections or anything. Um, But because I dug through and was like listening to all these Sam Cooke songs, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. You know, like his voice is like the feeling he puts into his songs like just uh blew me away or uh even uh the constructed band the grassroots from the 60s you know like um they were sort of like i, I wouldn't i guess they were probably too old to be a boy band but uh you know they were just a bunch of musicians that got brought together with pre-written material but i enjoy the pre-written material that they recorded you know i enjoy their their song catalog um so yeah just kind of uh delving in from that and uh you know plus it's just you know it's fun to be able to say that i have two cnc music factory albums when you know (laughs) most people have one at most (laughs) (laughs) so uh okay well so you actually are buying the cds um i got a couple questions i have a couple questions about that uh one by buying the cds uh at, at this point with twenty thousand song, 15 20,000 songs your cd collection must span like an entire wall or so um yeah it's in the thousands um i haven't counted it recently (laughs) Um, right but yeah it's it's up there um plus a few hundred records at least and uh um you know tapes or you know stuff i bought off amazon's digital downloads yeah you know that that kind of stuff but yeah i've definitely uh space becomes an issue sometimes jesus I think every collector knows that feeling. Oh yeah, yep. Don't we all? At um, least you know. At least I collect something that's relatively small. My brother keeps buying cars, <laughs> <laughs> and he has to like find new garage spaces in in town oh, wow. to store another car. And like at least at least I, I I can keep everything under one roof. For now. For now. Yeah. <laughs> um. And the other question I had was that you so by buying cds you're you own like something physical and you mentioned off the podcast before we start recording that you convert them to a to a digital format so that you can listen to them kind of from your computer okay that's that's fine the question that i was getting to was that um so you 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 own uh, some sort of physical property that allows you to listen to these songs, but are you keeping any sort of like YouTube playlists or any sort of like uh, publicly accessible songs as part of your collection, or is it all from your ownership stuff? Um, it, it's pretty much uh, limited to stuff that I have either a physical copy of or you have created a digital copy of on my own hard drive so you know i have you know backup hard drives you know i keep a like 
two terabyte hard drive at my parents' house just in case something happens. I have all my, you know, or most of my music backed up to as, you know, recently as I backed it all up onto that hard drive at least so that I don't lose everything if there's a fire or something like that. Are you backing up to your parents, to that hard drive remotely, or are you physically no, carrying it? Yeah, no, like, my parents are, you know, A, I'm, you know, for somebody who does a lot of stuff with digital stuff, I don't, and even works in IT, I'm not, that doesn't necessarily mean I am the most tech savvy. I don't have, like, the techno joy of setting all that stuff up all the time. Um but, uh, and my parents are, you know, they're just happy they know how to turn on their computer, basically. So, um, right. So, yeah, I just store a physical hard drive there and, you know, I'll swap it out. I, I have one here, I update it, I take it back there and bring the other one back, basically. So, it's I know, see. very old school from that standpoint. So, you're keeping then three let's say three hard drives at a minimum one which is active one which is a backup at your home and then one which is a backup of the backup at your parents house essentially yeah yeah okay yeah but you know getting to your point of having like the physical collection because i you know it seems to be like a one of those generational things right like people who grew up with digital as their main option they don't care about liner notes Mm -hmm. they don't care about physically holding the cd in their hands and you know i totally get and respect that but just for me that's part of the experience of collecting that's part of the fun of it is you know grabbing a stack of cds that you haven't looked at in a while and just leafing through the liner notes and you know particularly you know if it was an album that connected to a period of your life or whatever you know like leafing through that those liner notes you'll be like thinking about what you were doing at the time that that album was popular or stuff like that you know yeah like that yeah that connection back to through your own personal history yeah i'm definitely much more of a physical uh collector myself as well and you might be right it might be a generational thing um, I mentioned on another episode that I've been buying paper books and paper comic books, preferring paper over mm. digital. Um, even with even with my own music collection, I'm buying the CDs as well, although not top 40, but I am buying CDs over the digital albums. Um, yeah, something about the physicality of it, even though... The first thing that I do when I buy a CD is convert it to digital so I have right, it exactly. digitally yeah. to listen to, which also keeps the CD in good condition. True. Yep. But there's something about that physicality of cracking open that CD. And you all remember the cellophane wrapping that's like murder on your fingernails to try and open. So you you get that open crack open the cd case you you wiggle out the liner notes like there's just something to that well you know there's a trick to getting that cellophane off is instead of picking at it from the edges you know the like hinge where it opens up and yep. there's that little like you know what is it half inch piece of plastic there uh, on the front of it 
and then the face opens up off of that. You just stick your fingernail and run it up and down in there, and it cuts through, and then you can peel it back really easily. Yeah, that's I I I I'm gonna say that you taught that to me way back in L.A. I have no idea if that's actually true or not, but that's I how yeah. I do let's it. Let's do that. Let's yeah, I'm that. just going to give you credit for that. And let's say that you changed my life way back then. 20, all, the, 20 all, the young, all the young people out there, if you ever buy a CD, that's that's how it's done. <laughs> it is much easier to, to do it that way. Yeah, how do you acquire all, all of them? Like, I think you mentioned off-podcast about buying the CDs, where you get them and stuff like that. But Yeah, I mean, we're yeah, talking. I'll go ahead. Oh yeah, I you know I still uh, you know buy current CDs. You know I just last week bought the most current Chili Peppers album and Foo Fighters album. But uh, you know a lot of it is trying to find deals, right? You want know, the most bang for your buck. You know most of us don't have unlimited funds with which to collect with, so it's you're just looking for deals where you can find them. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I you know there's two goodwill stores where i live in lacrosse wisconsin um so i'll hit those up from time to time and just kind of you know take over that little uh, shelving space and mm-hmm. uh block anybody else out while i'm digging through <laughs> um and uh you know i i i think i maybe alluded to before we started recording possibly is uh you know i keep like uh, the spreadsheet of my list of tracks that i'm actively searching for on my phone um so i can pull that up and reference it so if i see something that sticks out to me is well i might need that you know i can check and see if i need it if it's you know if it's a band that i'm interested in i might buy the cd regardless but if it's uh you know like i i'm not a giant country music fan so if it's a country band that had a crossover hit or something and that hit isn't on that CD. I'm, you know, probably gonna leave that CD for somebody else to find and add to their joy as a country music fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of that. Um, you know, I'll go there, uh, look for online deals. There, um, you know, various websites that sell used CDs that I'll try to track stuff down through. Um, one of which I used to use uh, predominantly that isn't in business anymore, so that's sad. But, uh, um, you know, find stuff where I can, go on eBay if there's a particular album I'm, I'm looking for. Like, I, you know, I got sick of trying to find a good deal on, uh, like, uh, the uh, that first album by uh, Digital Underground uh, that had Humpty Dance on it. Um, sex packets it was called and uh you know like everywhere you'd find you know they do what they had so you know you'd, it was dang near full price of buying a brand new cd to buy a used copy of it so i just you know went and bought a, a copy at full price and that's fine um if you really want the album you're gonna pay more for what you really want as opposed to just what you kind of want i guess mm-hmm. um and uh yeah, go ahead. I was say, is there like a these days? Is there a particular song or an artist that you're really looking for that's like been sort of impossible to find? Like my, my unicorn or something. Yeah. 
I mean, not necessarily a particular artist, per se, or song at this point that I can think of. Um, there are, you know, so like an artist like Elvis had a tremendous amount of hits over the mm -hmm. years. And as much as I've been able to track down on various collections, there's still, like, something like 15 Elvis songs that charted that I haven't been able to, to track down on any collection. Like, I'm sure I could go one by one and purchase them on iTunes or Amazon or whatever. Um, but again, you know, looking for the most bang for my buck, I'm always like, can I find a some Elvis CD out here that has two or three of these songs that I still need. Um, so yeah. it's kind of a game in this sense, even if you play in the game to try to like find the one CD that has the most yeah. remaining hits that you're still looking for. A little bit of Tetris. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. Get the pieces <laughs> to fit together. Yeah. Do you do a lot of like additional research to find what albums those songs might be on and then try to compile it and then go seek out that album or Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, no, I've definitely done that before. Um particularly, you know, if I am on like a a website that is specializing in, you know, selling CDs, if that if that site lists out the track listing for each cd i might be looking at them and comparing them to each other and saying oh this one has five hits by this uh, artist that i need but it's you know seven dollars this one only has three but it's only two dollars mm -hmm. you know like that that's part of the game too kind of you know like like well, well i'm gonna be missing but i'm gonna save like four dollars or five dollars and... and that's when you pull out the spreadsheet to do all that math for you something like that yeah <laughs> No, it's, I, I, yeah, I don't delve that deep maybe, but, uh, you know, I definitely go over it in my head really quick at least and decide which one I want. And sure. it's weird too. Like, I don't know if you guys have had this, but like, if there's like two similar, you know, collections out there and one has crappy artwork on the album and another one has pretty decent album artwork even if it's like a greatest hits collection or something like that i'm gonna lean towards the one that it looked like they put more work into <laughs> yeah of course of course that's that's the whole point of art right right plus you want to avoid the uh you know collections that were popular in the 90s where it was like original artist but they're all re-recorded versions of the songs and they don't oh my gosh. Right when you listen to them. <laughs> that was so that actually thing, wasn't it. Yeah, but that yeah. also leads to a question that I've been kind of brewing ab about your collection. Do you deal with digital remasters or re-recordings or like all those variations or do you strictly deal with the absolute original first recording? I don't need the absolute original first recording. Um, but I get infuriated if I feel like I got duped into buying a re-recorded version. So okay. it has to be, for me, it has to be like the version that was the hit on the radio. Okay. Um, I think in like 
one that sticks out in my mind is uh, the song Jimmy Mac by Martha and the Vandellas. And it seemed like there were two legitimately popular versions of that song by that they recorded both versions of. And so, like, I think I bought their, like, 20th Century Masters uh, album, you know, that, that collection, and the version of Jimmy Mac on it, and those, you know, collections are typically, you know, the popularized recordings of those, but that one was not the version that I remembered hearing on the radio. It's just different enough, subtly different enough, that it just, like, this isn't quite right. But I'm like, well, but it's on this collection with all these other, you know, original-ish versions or you know, seemingly original versions of the other songs on there. Um, so that one, you know, like, I had to find a different collection and just, I think that was one where I did just, you know, uh, buy the download separately of the version that I remembered hearing on the radio growing up. So whether that's which one of those wins out as the most authentic version, I couldn't even tell you, but mm-hmm. I only care about what's authentic to me, really, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's my nostalgia. You know, nobody else can have my nostalgia. It belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about what do you do about uh, the songs where you don't have nostalgia about? Like you mentioned earlier, the 70s kind of glossed over in in your world well i became a 70s music fan eventually okay but i had to discover all of that on my own like my mom wasn't going to help me (laughs) right she wasn't she wasn't uh heavily into the like singer songwriter stuff of the 70s with few exceptions you know like she she has some of the stuff by the carpenters and stuff like that but um you know she wasn't uh she wasn't going to be uh, rocking out to Alice Cooper. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, you know, so a lot of stuff from the 70s I had to, uh, you know, I eventually discovered on my own. And I love a lot of music from the 70s as a result. But, uh, you know, that was, that that's less tied to nostalgia. That's kind of like once I, you know, the more I got into listening to different kinds of music, you know, I just was like, oh, I don't know why my mom doesn't like 70s. Yeah, it's. I mean, I do get it because she wants to do stuff that has a beat and is danceable and whatever. And, you know, she's not into the hard rock and stuff as much or the, the you know, singer songwriter stuff as much because she can't dance to it. Um, so I get it from that perspective. But, uh, you know, for me, that that wasn't the key reason I was looking for for in in my music tastes. So there is a lot of 70s music that I ended up loving. But, mm-hmm. um to your point, yeah, there are, in order to have the full collection, there are definitely artists and songs that I have very begrudgingly collected. Um, possibly my least favorite song of all time, which interestingly is relevant again, is the song Barbie Girl by Aqua. <laughs> I cannot stand that song, but I had to collect it. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> if I want to be a real collector, I have to have a copy of it. Um, or, uh, you know, as a group. Uh, um, I was actually listening to an oldies radio station last night, and a song by this by this group came on, and it reminded me to bring up how much I don't like this band. <laughs> Which one? I can. I I just can't 
uh, I can't enjoy the Osmonds. They're too like saccharine, sweet. And uh, you know that song. I'm a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. Came on last night. I'm like, well, that's at least the least annoying of their songs. <laughs> but yeah, they have like a song called Puppy Love that is just so saccharine. It's just like unlistenable to my ears. And, like, you know. I've seen Marie Osmond live, by the way, even when, you know, as part of like some Christmas show when I was a kid. But uh, she was fine in that context. <laughs> she's uh, she's a really nice person. Um, I never understood the Osmonds. They were huge when I was a kid, sort of that late yeah. 70s. And they, to this day, have this sort of you know, following whatever, even though they haven't been yeah. musically relevant in my entire, you know, what, 40 years. <laughs> right. People like right. love them. And I'm like, why? I mean, and, and again, to each their own, like, I don't want to yuck somebody else's yum out there. You know, that's, that's yeah. not even like the point of it for me is to be like, you know, you mentioned high fidelity and earlier and, you know, like all the guys in there, like music snobs and like, like, I don't want to be that guy, you know? Like, I appreciate the mm -hmm. character. It was a fun character for that movie. But, uh, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's like, I know more than you because I did this or have this background. So my opinion is more relevant and more important than your opinion. Mm -hmm. um, if, it, you know, so to me, if somebody is a huge Osmonds fan, the point, uh, the point I'm trying to be is, like, I'm not trying to poo-poo you for being a big Osmonds fan. It just doesn't work oh, for no. me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Whatever people are cool with that. That's cool. I just. I'm sort of mystified by some people's like. Yeah. I. I get you. Like, but you're right about like sort of the the sort of the the, the guy in the record store. He still exists in the comic book store, and he oh, knows it all. And this is shit. And it's like you know. It's like you know. You, you know. You don't know anything. You're young an pup. idiot for liking this. You're band. an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! Just the cups and see. I'm gonna fight yeah, you over it's my love of Osmonds. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ironic, yeah. considering how saccharine they are. But yeah, <laughs> I remember very vividly. This had to have been ninety or ninety-one, and I had just discovered the Sundays. And someone was telling me like how trash they were, and I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" It's like they totally, they totally ripped off the Cockatoo Twins, and at that point, I didn't know who they were. Sure. And they went on to this whole diatribe about how like you know the Sundays were just like they were just a photocopy of the of the Twins. And I'm like, "What?" And so, and I was like so offended because I was in love with that record, and then I you know, but then I started listening to the Cockatoo Twins, I started listening to all that stuff, so. So did it? Did you? Did your opinion change, and you now agree with that assessment, or you just like both? No, of them? no, I no, I think they were ripping off tons of people. The Smiths, and, you, and know. you know, what? everybody's influenced by somebody. Exactly. If you, if you're yeah. listening to a band that isn't one of the original bands that formed a genre, of course they're ripping somebody off in some context you, that you can tie it to. So it's like, yeah, you know. Like That's okay, yeah, thing Day about... ripped off all these punk artists and whatever, but you know, I still love listening to Green Day. It sort of enriches, don't you think, your sort of understanding and appreciation of some artists when you realize they're part of this 
tradition or legacy. Like the Sundays are part of a family of English Irish bands that are a pretty long list, and it's a great list, and they they all influenced each other. They're all mostly active at the same time. Green Day is part of this legacy, which goes back to the late seventies and the Chili Peppers and so on. Yeah. And and then people don't really know because you're just you you just hit it on the radio or MTV or these days on YouTube. But when you really start peeling away at that, you discover all these layers, and then you discover other artists, and you're like, oh wow, like you know, there are all these people that are sort of part yeah. of this sort of family. Well, not only that, but you can like you can look at pop culture as a reflection of the times. So you can like trace mm-hmm. pop culture back through, you know, I mean, pop culture is a relatively new phenomenon, right? Last 75 years or so by and large, when uh, people were heavily listening to recorded music and that became more widely available. Um, but uh, maybe more than 75 years, I suppose, but you, you get the point. Um but yeah, you know, like you can trace the roots of everything, like all the way back to, you know, from what I've read, even you can trace it back to like the Underground Railroad songs. And oh, sure. those slowly progressed into what became the blues. And the blues started to influence country music, which in and of itself seemingly was influenced by a lot of like the Irish uh, music that had come across. Um, and those got collect- come together and slowly formed the roots of rock and roll and rock and roll leads to, you know, branches off into heavy metal and, you know, R and B branches off into funk and soul and eventually into hip hop. And yeah, like tracing that, Although, like, tracing that progression is really fascinating to me. So I'm kind of glad you brought that up because that is something that I have in mind a lot of times, too, that I'm thinking of. I tried to put together a playlist once, like, tracing the progression of music. And I'm like, this got unwieldy fast. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not a line. It's not linear. It's It's very much a web. Yep. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's like, like, I don't even know how to do this. Like, (laughs) you know, like I read that Bob Willis or Bob Wills and the Playboys or whatever, the country band from the 30s were the first one to introduce the backbeat, which became kind of the uh, genesis of what eventually led to rock and roll. So I'm like, okay, how do I get from them to Chuck Berry to, you know, moving on forward? Like, it's, it's. it seemed easy, you know, in my mind as I was thinking I should do this. And then I'm like, I, I, this isn't going to work. Yeah, it's just like I'm I'm reminded of a couple, several different things, actually. But uh, in this case, like, um, I don't know if I ever told you this, Ryan, but I've recently started an art class. So I'm learning how to paint and how to draw like formally. Um, and you know, for whatever reason I had in my head, and it's one of those ideas that you get in your head as a child and then you never think about, you just kind of accept as, as a given until you start to think about it much later on in life. But like, I always had the idea that artists just draw magically and amazingly 
they put image on paper and it's what they imagined from head to paper, like a relatively straight line. Yeah. So everybody's a savant. <laughs> but then when I started really getting into this art class and I was breaking down all the pieces of how to put image to paper. And then I started looking at uh, comic artists and how they actually do it. They're doing a ton of reference art. They're, they're taking like existing photos or existing art and they're copying pieces of it into their own style. And that iteration or that iterative design or iterative creative work and I don't mean iterative from the individual. I mean iterative from the industry. Like that is how styles kind of emerge out of all of this. Right? It's like... Except, oh, sorry, go ahead. Except for that one infamous Captain America cover where you can see both his chest muscles. And oh, my God. Rob Liefeld. Liefeld, <laughs> yeah. The single worst drawing the ever. Was. I don't know what the reference was in that one. He was referencing Picasso. <laughs> it's it's weird to see people defend that 30 years later, and they're like, no, this is good. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not good. Well, it's good because it's fun to talk about. but uh, It's fun to it's talk good about. in that aspect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forget it. Everybody knows about that one. <laughs> I'm not even a That's comic true. book collector, and I know about that one. That's true. You, and you can't unsee it either. Once you... Mm-hmm. Once you've seen it for the first time, you're like, nope, that is forever burned into my brain. It's, it's just always there. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I'm reminded of is, do either of you read the the webcomic XKCD? Mm-mm. I cannot say I do, but I, again, I'm, comics was one of the areas I missed out on. Okay. So I never got into comics. XKCD is a webcomic. Um, it's... Very, it's little more than stick figures and just like basic drawings, like really basic. But within that, the content within it is is amazing. Like it's highly worth reading. Uh, but there was one several years ago, and it definitely informs how I teach uh, in my current job. Um, but one of them is called Daily Ten Thousand. And it basically breaks down this idea of I try not to make fun of people who have never heard of something, who have who didn't know something, um, because you're teaching them that they're wrong for not knowing something or they're wrong for not like being the originator of all that. It's very gatekeepy, right? So the comic is like I try not to do that because statistically and he broke down the broke down the math of like how many births there are in america per day based on that how many times people know something how many people learn about something for the first time and all that so statistically there is ten thousand people in america who are hearing something for the first time ever every day yeah no that's a good point So the daily 10,000 is a reminder of rather than trying to gatekeep and trying to be like, Oh, I can't believe you don't know this, or you should know something like this. You know, you, instead of the Sundays, you should know about the twins or like, instead of all that, you get to join in the fun of someone else's discovery. 
So like for Darb, imagine the guy saying, you love the Sundays? You got to listen to this other group called the Twins. They're like, I'm going to join with you on that discovery of this other band. Right. Encouraging curiosity as opposed to, yeah. Gatekeeping. Somebody down. Yeah. Gatekeeping is the perfect way to put it. Right. And like, totally agree with that. Yeah, that that informs how music. I. I'm sorry. As I say, especially with music, because music is meant to be shared. You know. Yeah. I mean, all art is, but music is such this communal thing. You know. Well, yeah. like you know, we're well into adulthood, and I'm sh- you know I'm sure we all have examples in our own minds of, you know, like something you learn for the first time as well into adulthood, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't know that before, like. It makes total sense now, Why right. did I, you know, but it just, you never had the context or the background or whatever to put two and two together. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a very human thing. So yeah, I agreed. Like you don't want to like pull that, to, you know, if you can help it, you know, or try to be cognizant of it when you're doing it. Cause I think that's another problem is like, it's, it's kind of a natural reaction sometimes that we're all prone to for feeling superior for knowing something that somebody else didn't know you know i I think some of us get super possessive about something we love yeah Yeah. and then for some people it manifests as like well you know this is mine and therefore yours is bad (laughs) right or it's like this is mine you can't become a, a, a legitimate fan of this band like i am because you didn't find out about them until just now so right. whatever were, fandom you have for this late. band <laughs> isn't good enough to match my fandom of this band. Exactly. I liked them before they were popular. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> that I remember when uh More Than Words, so the extreme song. Oh yeah. So that record had been out for a minute and that song, you know, was fairly, you know, people were into it and everything. And then the song blew up. It became like mm-hmm. this huge hit. And I remember there were people, you know, friends of mine that were just like, I hate them now because like it was theirs yeah, and now it's gone. Yep. 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 Or, uh, yeah. Or, uh, the band OAR, like once they had a popular radio hit, like a certain percentage of their original fan base abandoned them as sellouts. Or, you know, it's like, like, I don't think when they wrote the song, they realized it was, that was the thing that was going to break them big. And, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a change in people's perception. It's not necessarily a change in the band consciously wrote this song to sell out and make money off of it. Had it not become popular, you know, everybody who hated them for the song becoming popular would probably still be going to their concerts and, um, you know, throwing playing cards out in the air when they play that song. That was a crazy game of poker or whatever that they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, uh, one of my favorite bands is Lincoln park. And um, when they really waned in popularity was the album minutes to midnight. I think it was. And that, the, that black and white cover. Yeah. 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 Standing in like a uh, silhouette. Uh, I think it... so, or it might be like the really abstract black and white one. I yeah, can't remember okay. now. Yeah, I can't remember which one either. But their popularity really waned because yeah. it wasn't as like, it wasn't teen angsty 
anymore. It wasn't complaint rock. It wasn't perspective and like I'm growing up as an artist. I don't have yeah. And um, I once had yeah. And I remember reading an interview with Chester, rest in peace. But I about what he was saying is he is no longer angry at the world he has a Mm -hmm. daughter that he lives for he is married like Mm -hmm. life is turning out pretty good for him so it's disingenuous for him to try and write those songs of extreme anger and teen angst and complaint rock because that's no longer genuine for him right and the fans recoiled they hated that album but i was i was listening to it i was like this is a really good album like music part of the journey yeah yeah the other the other band then darb you're gonna go go on a long rant about this one is u2 u2 is famous for constantly reinventing their style Mm -hmm. i have so many thoughts about this but i i feel i feel like there's a huge conversation we could have another time about how this particular trope, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how th- this trope plays out in the other media. So movies in particular, um, yeah. but um, some bands get to change their spots. And if you're you too, if you're David Bowie, if you're Sinead O'Connor, um, you can kind of do whatever you want for various reasons. One is you're so popular. It doesn't matter Two, You don't care. You don't yeah. care. You have right? the luxury and like of it, not caring. In you have the luxury of not caring. And if you're David Bowie, if you're Sinead, if you're so many Prince. artists, Lady Prince, Lady Gaga to a certain extent, um, if you're one of these artists, you you can get away get away with it. Um, but that's also your your artistic engine is just propelling you down yeah, these yeah. roads and. the the people who love your music love it because of its you know amorphism and it's the the way that it changes and because you're changing and so but very often the reason we have one hit wonders i think is because we just hit this thing we get this dopamine hit it's like this is the most important thing to be happened to me that for for that five minutes that i listened to that song and then it's it's trapped in amber for all time in that moment and then it's it's just stuck there especially the teenagers yeah oh sure i i have two thoughts coming off of what we were just talking about one following up on on sugu's point with the uh you know the lincoln park story um there are two very different rappers i can think of that later on in their careers issued apologetic songs for their prior hits you know Mm -hmm. there's a song i can't remember even what the name of the song is um but Eminem recorded a song that essentially was apologizing to his mom for being so harsh on her in his earlier work. And uh, Will Smith sort of sort of like took back parents just don't understand at a certain point once he had become a parent on one of his later solo releases. So that, you know, and not that either of those songs in and of themselves were high art, but just, uh, you know, taking a following on you know your perspective changes so what you are going to create as an artist is going to inevitably change because you're not the same person you were 20 years ago when you had all that angst mm-hmm. um, i think taylor swift you is... as an artist change yeah go ahead i was just gonna say real quick i, I t- taylor swift i think is actually a really interesting example of this given her journey um, from, you know, she started out in country and she's evolved into probably 
right now at the moment the single biggest artist you know no doubt i don't know how many billions she's making every night um the on tour here in the states right now but yeah she she's gone on this musical journey which some people would sort of dismiss as just oh she's it's just sort of pop music but i, I don't think that's what's going on with taylor and she she's really interesting she's really smart she's really talented and i i think if you stand back and sort of let the glitz sort of fade you're seeing someone who's very similar to these other artists we were just talking about if you know if if it's a little bit more broad than say bowie obviously but Mm -hmm. um but i think people are attracted to that as much as you sort of like you know you reject reject the journey of a lincoln park there are people there are people broadly who will embrace it too and i don't know exactly where that line is well, and even that, you know, like you might find yourself appealing to a new audience that you didn't once appeal to because as your perspective changed, your appeal changed. So, the, mm. you know, you might have a smaller audience base, but you probably, you know, you lost a lot, but you gained some in other ways. You know, it's and I'm sure, you know, there are artists that are like, this is part of the calculus, you know, there probably are artists that get to the point where it's, uh, they just want to make a living and they don't care how maybe, you know, I sure. like it takes all kinds. Right. Um, or, uh, somebody was recently telling me about the one hit wonder citizen King. If you guys remember them, they had that song better days. Like I've seen better days. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, apparently like Coca-Cola offered them like a million dollars, um, when that song was popular to use that in advertisements and they turned it down and then they never had another hit. And to this day, regret not taking the million dollars from Coca-Cola. Um, you know, the veracity of this story, I don't know. It's like, I heard it from Mm -hmm. a guy who probably heard it from a guy, (laughs) but you know, it ties into, there probably are stories like that out there where it's like. Oh, I wish I could have sold out, you know, kind of thing. Like, where would I be today had I made that decision to sell out? But my, you know, my artistic integrity kept me from doing so. And yeah, at the same for, time, you respect only... those who have that artistic integrity. So it's just like, it, again, it's just very human in my mind. Yeah, but at the same time, the the concept of selling out. To, when I was young, uh, a teenager selling out was like the worst thing you could do artistic Mm -hmm. integrity overall and all that Mm -hmm. but as i became an adult and had to like pay my own bills and really look at how money works and all that right selling (laughs) out has a very different meaning to me now it's more like you know you can't blame someone for wanting to pay bills and you can't blame someone for wanting to say for example get married and have kids and then that changes their entire outlook on life like you yeah, can't once you get it once you get yeah. a job that offers health insurance <laughs> like that that seems to be the thing where there's no going back obviously you know you don't have that problem living in japan and i wish we didn't <laughs> have that problem here um but it's it's a real thing like you know it it, it becomes a real thing like you know Am I, you know, living my dream life doing exactly what I wanted to do as a career? No, but, you know, by doing that, I'm able to not be in skid row, you know, like not have to worry about 
if I have a medical emergency, how am I going to pay for it kind of thing? Like, yeah, again, your perspective changes over time. Yeah. Just real quickly as an aside, Ryan, just to the audience and to Darby, Ryan and I have talked about this a lot of times, but just to kind of catch up everybody to what Ryan and I are talking about. Are you going to tell your broken leg story? No, I'm not going to say that part. I'm (laughs) I'm going to say a a different, it's related to it, but it's, uh, it's not quite the same which is that I remember when I was in America and I would get sick, I would see, I would basically try home remedies and try to fix it at home for cheap and just to keep on going. Right. Which I think most Americans can kind of understand yeah, you're feeling really sick. Do. You just stay home. Yeah. You stay home, you relax, you rest, you feel better. You go back to work. Right how many home remedies are there in America? Drink, drink lemon mixed with hot water, mixed with the magic of unicorn blood, drink, uh, chicken or eat chicken soup, but make sure that you have like, uh, frog wart thrown in as well. And like all sorts of stuff, home remedies. But where I was going to is that in Japan, you have people taking a day off because they're feeling a little under the weather and they go to the hospital just to get checked up because something might be wrong and nip it in the bud. Yeah. And when I first moved to Japan, it was so weird that everyone was just taking days off and going to the hospital just for like little minor things. I'm like, what? But you don't have to, you could just stay home and try to nurse it yourself <laughs> to you, whatever home remedies you, you know, right? So you go to the hospital and they give you hot tea and uh, <laughs> right frog wart. Right. But in Japan, because of the national health insurance, because everyone is covered no matter what, you do go to the hospital for preventative measures as well as reactive measures. And as a result, like everybody just gets better. You're not spreading illness fast because you're not working. You're expected right. to take the time off. You're expected to go to yeah. the hospital. That's what the hospital is there for. Well, and like, uh, you know, we're getting off on a tangent here, obviously, but uh, I'm just curious as a follow up, because like, how does it work with childcare in Japan, too? Because I think a lot of people work when they're sick because or, you know, bring kids out in public when the kids are sick because they don't feel like they have an option you know they don't have coverage for that kind of thing um so there is a government assisted child care that's there like you can enroll your child into uh the public child care facilities hmm. yeah or and, you know people just don't have the time to take off. I used up all my PTO. I can't afford to take a sick day cuz I'm not going to get paid for this day and I need money so I'm going to show yeah. up to work sick even though I shouldn't. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean I I'm we got not... together to talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and to be clear, I'm not at all saying that Japan is the perfect end all be all of of Nobody health has. insurance. It's got problems especially with overwork and all that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But having that national health insurance really eases up a lot of worry and concern about work. One would think. There's 
Sugu's pitch to everybody out there. <laughs> All of our listeners, go vote for national health insurance, single payer system. <laughs> I know some people who would be very thrilled with you and some people who would be very angry at you. <laughs> Have them send us an email, shellformers at gmail.com. <laughs> No, but getting getting back to it, like the whole idea of selling out, right? Um, I don't know. It takes on a very different meaning when the choice is having a roof over your head or yeah, not. You know, like right, and I, that's why I, you know, like oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I I actually think the the I the concept is antiquated. Actually, I think when people throw it around today, I don't think it really applies because so much of art today in any medium is like myself. You're an independent artist, and so your lively your art is your livelihood, and so by definition, you're selling out because you're simply selling. So yeah, I don't even I you know when people say that well you you sold out, it's like. Um, or you're trying to do this, or you're trying to do whatever they want to apply to it. I, th- those kind of th- those things apply to like the sort of antiquated concept we have when you know artists were these these perfect, um, you know, um, objects that were you know they couldn't be sullied by you know things like money or compensation, even though they they you know they signed a contract in which they were paid x amount of dollars for whatever. And so this idea that you're you're going to be selling out by yeah. by doing this or being zombie. associated with yeah, it's just silly. Sorry, you got interrupted there. Could you uh, say your point again? Oh, I just don't. I think it's the the selling out is is antiquated. I guess is really just the point. It's just I you know it's the you can be crass and you can be mercenary in your art, and we all know who those people are when we listen to them on the radio or read the book or watch the movie. Or you can be an artist with with vision and integrity, who's also trying to make a living because you have to because you don't have health care, you know. So, yeah, I mean, the reality is pretty much everything in America is either or on its way to being a commodity. Like, no. well, every everything is a commodity. Yeah. Well, I'll let you everything. know when I become you know based on the celebrity I will gain from being on this show. Um, <laughs> I'll let you know what it, what it feels like when I mm. have to make that choice of whether to sell out or not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, please do. Ryan, is there anything else you, you want to kind of say before we either move on to something else or wrap up? Nothing off the top of my head that, uh, that hasn't been covered. I covered all of my little bullet points that I made pre notes on. So, I feel pretty good. I don't know how you guys feel. Like, uh, right now, it feels like kind of an abrupt end because there's so much that we brought up and there's so much to discuss. Uh, And I really don't feel like ending it right now. We can certainly talk longer and And edit all this stuff out. I'm just getting my day started, so it depends on how how late at night you guys want, I guess. Well, Darby, you're in the U.S., so it's probably morning for you still, too. All right. Uh, I, Ryan, I do have a quick question for you, and I have no idea if you can answer this or know how to answer this or anything okay. like that. So if it's confusing, let me know because I'm asking a very basic oh, question. Oh, I, 
I, I answer a lot of confusing questions. Yeah. That my answer is just as confusing as the question. Okay. So go for it. On average, from your entire collection, uh, what percentage are one-hit wonders, and what percentage are like oh. established well, uh, so artists? That I think that probably is a perspective kind of question, right? Because there are artists who have had multiple hits, but the you know one big top five single and the others were lesser hits. Those mm-hmm. artists, in a lot of people's books, would still be considered one-hit wonders. Um, the band Jet comes to mind. You know, they had that hit twenty years ago with "Are You Gonna Be My Girl." They had other minor hits after that, but they were by and large considered a one-hit wonder because of that one song. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't even know how I personally define what I would consider a one-hit wonder. Okay. Um, I guess in my own mind, it's if you had one charting single and nothing else ever charted for you, maybe. So like, uh, you know, everybody has like that album they bought for one song and they love that one song and none of the other songs on the album sounded anything like what they bought it for (laughs) and then you're just like oh i got taken (laughs) the example that comes to mind to my mind is white towns your woman that's exactly what i was going to say (laughs) that is the exact album that i bought for one one single song that nothing else sounded like the one hit that was on that album and I'm like, oh, White Town, you got me. <laughs> I think it's incredible that we both thought of that same album. <laughs> yeah, I can still picture his, like, the x-ray hand on the cover. And... <laughs> yeah, good old White Town. Stealing my money. I was a teenager. I didn't have the, that kind of money to spend. I wanted 12 of those songs on that album. So White Town, if you're listening, you owe you owe Ryan. I don't know. What do you want? An apology? I don't know. Well, let's well let's see. It was like what? Probably uh, let's say uh, eleven dollar album at the time. You know, I want ten dollars back. (laughs) (laughs) Although, in all fairness, I probably got eleven dollars worth of listening to that one song because I did really, really love Your Woman as a song. But. uh, And then Dua Lipa sampled that. So that's just, you know, that's what makes you feel really old is when you start hearing, you know, like when we were young, we were listening to stuff from like the 70s get sampled. And like, oh, you know, and that's how you discovered some of that 70s music. Um, And now it's, you know, stuff that we listen to is getting sampled and like, oh, I'm old. Yeah. Or the stuff that we listened to when we were kids, the new stuff is now on the oldies channel. Yes, that that bothered me. The first time I was like talking to some, uh, I think it was like, it was uh, a gal that was teaching a fitness class I was taking. I was chatting with her afterwards. And this is like already like maybe 12, 13 years ago. And I was chatting, like talking about 80s music with her. And like, she's like, oh, yeah, I love classic rock. And I'm like, no, that's not classic rock. <laughs> yeah. I remember in when I was in high school, uh, I think Darby, we've talked about this, and I said this on another episode, but Ryan, I don't know if you remember the story, but when I was in high school, that was when 
Puff Daddy mm. came out with I'll Be Missing You. It was I think it was freshman year of college that that uh, was that college it was either just going into freshman year or it was it was it was probably summer in 97 so yeah it was probably just at in between high school and college okay so that transition time yeah so puff daddy came out with that song i'll be missing you and i had never heard that song before but i was in the car with a friend of mine and it came on the radio and immediately I'm like, oh, it's the police. I love this song. Mm-hmm. Thinking it's every breath you take. And my friend was like, no, no, this is Puff Day. I'm like, no, no, this sample, this is from the police, every breath you take. And my friend literally insisted, well, the police must have stolen it from Puff Daddy. My yeah, mm, no nope. understanding stuff in reverse order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or after Wayne's World came out, people were calling the radio station, at least in my town. Hey, can you play the new Queen Queen release? And you're like, wait, what new Queen? Queen's been gone. Like, what? And they met Bohemian Rhapsody. Like two months ago, you know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Or, or, you know, another example is when uh, Guitar Hero became a thing. And I remember um, one of my friends, like her kid came to her talking about this new Pat Benatar song, Heartbreaker, <laughs> that was on her Guitar Hero game. And, her, you know, her mom takes out, you know, goes and pulls her Pat Benatar CD out, and, like blew her kid's mind. <laughs> yeah, what? right. You listened to a song that I think is cool? <laughs> Impossible. No, you're a parent. You're a dork by nature. That's right. Um, yeah there was like a sort of a road trip i took with some friends last year you know, I don't know, probably not even a road trip it was only about an hour and a half drive but we just uh got it in our minds like pulling up songs that i think we were pulling up the original songs and trying to make each other guess who sampled that in their rap song or whatever you know so yeah you pull up like Stevie Wonder's Pastime Paradise, obviously, you know, that one's pretty easily identifiable that Coolio sampled that for Gangsta's Paradise. Um, but yeah, like discovering some of the deeper dives, like there's a, a Herb Alpert hit. I think it was his only number one single even from like 1979 called Rise, I think. And that was... Uh, what got sampled for hypnotized by notorious big really i guess puff daddy that took it and and made it the sample for that song um but just then like going back and listening to that and just like huh didn't know that one or there's like a michael mcdonald song from the early 80s that became warren g regulated you know Mm -hmm. and then you're like i'm listening to michael mcdonald but it's not like a McDonald's. <laughs> so the the one that I recently heard, um, recently as in like within the past within the past year or so, the one that I had heard was um, Jay Z's uh, "Big Pimpin." Okay. And the what it sampled was actually this uh, Arabic song. Hmm. Have you not heard this? I don't know about it. No, I'm, I okay. was never a big Jay Z fan, though. Okay, 
because I wasn't sure if it had come up in your uh, collection or not, but I have Jay Z songs, but I don't like he's not one. He's not an artist that I ever got interested in enough. Okay. Do my own digging on, I guess. Okay. So there's this. Uh, uh, let me see if I can look it up really quickly. There's a. Let's say Arab. I can't, I can't remember what country, but there's an Arabic uh, artist who. Um, it was like really, really popular in Egypt. I I want to say, his name is Abdel Halim Hafez, and he he had this song called Kosara, I think, or uh, Kosara. I I'm not sure about the pronunciation. But anyway, so he 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 wrote that song. Jay Z sampled it for Big Pimpin, and then a major lawsuit ensued uh, between the two of them for copyright infringement and all, uh, all I, that stuff. Yeah, I suppose as complicated as it is in the U.S., it becomes more complicated when it spans international borders. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all, uh, like, it was, it was a kind of a mess. And I think, if I remember correctly, Jay-Z had to pay the estate of Hafez some settlement fee. Oh, so that artist is no longer living? That artist is no longer living, yeah. Okay. I'll, I, I'll have to check the, the the details of it. I'm forgetting it now. But, yeah, like, it was this big old mess that happened at the time that we were more or less oblivious to. We were in yeah. college when that song came out. Mm-hmm. And like, there's all these like legal things that had happened behind the scenes. And, well, and it's it. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, you, you hear too about like, in particular, what comes to mind for me is like the Marvin Gate, Marvin Gaye estate, um, has you know tried to sue several artists unsuccessfully for copyright infringement. You know, like the Robin Thicke song "Blurred Lines." Um, is one that they very clearly you know i could tell listening to it you know was definitely uh if not a direct ripoff certainly heavily influenced mm-hmm. by by marvin gay um trying to think of the song i'm sure everybody's like you idiot i know that song i can't you know i'm having a brain fart but sound off in our comments in our Twitter feed, in our no, I'm gonna, oh, you know? got to give it is it got to give it up part one, I think. I think that's what it is. Um, but at any rate, yeah. So uh, you know they won that lawsuit, but they've like apparently just and again anecdotally, I don't know all the details, but they've been suing several artists, and like at a certain point, it's like. I could see it one way where Marvin Gaye was such a heavy influence on so much music that came after him that it's quite possible that these are all legitimate. But at, at a certain point, you know, too, it brings it. If there's so many lawsuits, is it a frivolous thing at a certain point? Is it petty or, you know, I could see it either way. It's an interesting, uh, as an outsider, you know, not having to, sit as a jurist and decide whether this song was copyright infringement that one wasn't 
And to be honest, if your livelihood is not dependent on it either. Mm-hmm. Like the Marvin Gaye estate, they're dependent on defending copyright. Sure, sure. Yeah, so it, 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 yeah, there's like all these interesting directions it can go in. And like, who am I to say that, that they're wrong for, for saying this or that the artist who made this new song is wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just, uh, I don't know. These are like the things I like to think about because, you know, I do like to go off in tangents just even in my own brain. So. All right. Real quick, uh, quick final question. What was the last CD y'all bought? Well, I think I already answered that. I, I, last week I bought the most recent Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters album. Oh, that's right. That's right. How is it? Um, You know, I... I was intrigued by the Foo Fighters album because it's the first album since uh, uh, Taylor Hawkins died. And so Dave Grohl is back to doing the drums in the Foo Fighters, at least for this album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and as I was reading, you know, it's like music is how Dave Grohl processes everything. So, of course, this album yeah. is heavily him processing the death of, of Taylor Hawkins. I think for me, you know, I've only listened to it a couple of times so far, but uh, um, I would say for myself, it's probably my favorite album of theirs since Wasted Light, at least. Okay. Um, so I, I really like their new album. The new Chili Peppers uh, stuff, you know, they released two albums last year, so there's a lot of content there. And, you know, for me, it's like... My personal take is that I don't enjoy their newer stuff quite as much, even though John Frusciani rejoined the band and, you know, he certainly was part of their probably best releases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it, I don't know if it just, I was having this conversation with some friends last week, actually. Like, is it, it's probably a mix of both, right? There are some bands that just, don't have as much good content later on in their careers and probably some of it is just people's perception because those you know they're not the zeitgeist anymore they're not the Mm -hmm. band that's getting popular hits on the radio anymore so people's perception of them changes like this band isn't what they once were and the chili peppers are like one of those bands where i'm trying to make that decision for myself you know is it my perception just that that they aren't quite what they were or is it that they just actually aren't quite what they were um mm, okay. so i've been i've been listening to to you know both of their albums from last year trying to parse that out for myself and i haven't i haven't decided i i listened to stadium arcadium and that was probably the last full chili peppers album that i listened to Okay. Um, and that was the last time John Frusciani was on. The yeah. Because one thing I noticed is like the albums prior to Stadium were consistently good. Like you could listen, yeah. start at the beginning all the way through. Yep. But Stadium Arcadium had uh, pockets. Yeah. As one of my friends was saying in that same conversation last week, that album should have, you know, it would have, it could have been a really good album had they just pared it down to one disc. Yeah. I can see that. And 
I'm kind of wondering if the two albums they released last year, if the same applies, like it could have been a mm-hmm. good album if everything had been pared down to one. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I'm subscribed to their YouTube channel. So I do see some of their songs that are new that are coming mm-hmm. out. Uh, cause I, I remember looking at their new video for one of the new songs on the album. Mm-hmm. But the song itself didn't grip me as much as it used to. Yeah, well, and you know, I, I'm thinking specifically of the song "Tip of My Tongue," and you know, like in it, they're just going. You know, there's a portion where they're just going, yeah, 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 and I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like, I was with you until you started doing that. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> But if it worked for them, if it made them happy, again, not trying to yuck their yum, I guess. But it just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's sort of like certain things, like when you're watching a movie, you'll see something and it just sort of takes you out of the experience, like doesn't quite fit, doesn't quite feel right. And sure. That was a moment in that album. And unfortunately, it's like, you know, within the first 15 seconds of track one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it just kind of took me out of out of the listening experience right away yeah i'm right now musically i'm right now catching up on my backlog of dave matthews band because the last album of theirs that i bought uh, a long time ago was the grux king the one that was the last one before the saxophonist died Mm. and uh so i haven't touched dave matthews since that incident and then their violinist got fired as well. And they they had a bunch of tragedy kind of in a short time period. Dumping poo on people in the Chicago River. They did what now? <laughs> that story, that was like 20 years ago. There was one of their tour buses. Like nobody was, it was just the driver in that particular bus. He was uh, crossing the Chicago River and it was one of those graded bridges. Uh-huh and uh decided that was a good time to dump the contents of the like you know whatever the the sewage the waste truck yeah the yeah yeah, the waste so he did a waste dump as he was crossing this bridge and there was a tourist boat going underneath the bridge (sighs) at the time and they dumped it the guy dumped it all on this boatload of tourists oh geez i believe this was the state street bridge yeah downtown that's a fun story i I mean wow you can't blame the band for that that's the driver oh yeah right and that's you know they obviously apologized and whatever and and like so yeah it's weird when controversy for your band is caused by something that a band member had nothing to do with yeah right but yeah they took heat for that at the time and like well Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like somebody should take heat for it. The band members probably not their fault. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, they could have forced the driver to do the waste dump at that moment, but but again, they they were nowhere near. They weren't. They, they weren't even in Chicago. I don't think at the time. But twenty years ago, they had cell phones and. Hell, they even had uh, Nortel phones, I think, which had the like the push to talk walkie-talkie. 
yeah, it wasn't instantaneous. Like it was an investigation that had to piece together, and you know somebody saw the license plate on the bus and reported it, and it got traced back. So it wasn't like instantaneous that everybody knew uh-huh. that it was a Dave Matthews tour bus that had done this. Um, but yeah, and you know, puking and hilarity ensued. I guess you know, the hilarity and heavy quotes. Um, but yeah, so like uh, they recently came out with a new CD, so I'm kind of listening to and slowly catching up on that backlog. And yeah, I don't know. What what was your last CD? Um, I just bought um Sinead's last album. Uh, I had not bought. It was from 2018. How about I be me? Um, so I had not heard that, so I just bought that, and then, um, uh, Heartless Bastards, uh, last record, Revolution, which is just amazing. Um, and I'm actually, um, I went back through. Uh, I have a little box uh, with you know, the old CDs and cassette tapes and stuff and the Sinead uh, stuff. And I had, I had a few of, uh, nothing compares to you and Emperor's new clothes. I had them on cassette single. And, uh, so this is peak 1990. And, um, so, but there was a couple she did that I don't have. So I've, I've gone looking for them and wouldn't, you know, they're very hard to find. Um, (laughs) Everybody's looking for them now. Yeah, so uh but I I've got I got sort of my antenna up to kind of get some of those early ones uh of hers. Just just I think I just want them. There's something about them. I I remember very vividly like getting them when I, you know, like so this would have been co-op records, you know, 1990, 1991 and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you guys also do that like when an artist dies, you just like spend the whole day listening to their stuff, like paying tribute to them in your own way. Whole day, actually, no. But the highlights, the songs that I really liked, I went through and and play them. It actually with Sinead, it's actually been a process these last few weeks. I I didn't immediately do that, and I avoided some of them very deliberately. I uh, do not. So want you have like a come. really deep connection to her music. I do, and so I avoided the the early records because it was just a little bit too um, a little bit too much. So I, I hung around. I listened. I played a lot of Faith and Courage, which is the record that came out when Sugu and I were in Ireland, and that one was a little bit more um, uh, I could process. But I've been slowly going back. I've been working my way back, and so now I'm 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 sort of back. I'm to the point now where I can kind of listen to it and that and not get too uh, upset about it but um but yeah no it wasn't i was i read you know everybody was like you know i've been listening to Sinead all day and you know the the records i just couldn't do it at the beginning it was it took a minute yeah well i hear you i'm trying to think uh what was the last one that i really was focused because i did listen to some Sinead when when she died but i wasn't i didn't i don't have a lot of her stuff Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, when Gordon Lightfoot died, um, you know, I was playing a lot of his stuff. Um, and you know, I had like, it was a work day. I had work calls and whatever. And so I just started off a meeting just playing. I, I was like, well, this is one of it. You know, I was playing sundown, I think as, you know, like people will recognize this or whatever. 
you know, but, you know, it's a lot of younger people that I work with <laughs> that are mm-hmm. on these calls. They had no idea what I was doing or who this, you know, guy was. Like a couple of people recognized the song, but didn't know he had died or who he was or those mm-hmm. kinds of things. It's just it. And like I was trying, I was trying to pay proper tribute. It just didn't work out. Yeah. Life gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, and not everybody is uh, as diligent as, as we might be in, you know, backtracing the cultural roots of everything. So, (laughs) yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. When I found out about Chester, uh chester bennington from lincoln park i played i think i played the first four albums straight through just because i love listening to all four of them Mm. uh and then i played the highlights from the transformers movies Mm. Mm. and like that was kind of about (laughs) it let's face it those songs were the highlights of those transformers Mm. yep even even me the the transformer fan of the three of us even I can acknowledge that. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today, and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.